0: Welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy with our host, Steve Butler. On today's program, our series entitled, The Second Coming versus the Rapture, as he opens God's Word to study the difference between the Rapture and the Second Coming. It's time to explore Bible prophecy. Hello and welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy. In, last, in the last program, I had talked to you about doing a review of the first three points of our uh, series on the differences between the rapture of the church and the second coming of Christ with the church to the earth, and I wanted to do that review because we have spent uh, several programs so far on this particular series, and there have been a lot of scriptures used From Genesis to Revelation. And unless you've had the handout, you probably have been uh, having a hard time writing down the scriptures, trying to follow along. I do hope that if you haven't had the opportunity, that you would go to the radio station website, and you can find that at whcbradio.org and look for Exploring Bible Prophecy. And there you'll find the handout that we've been using since the beginning of this series on the differences between the rapture of the church and the second coming of Christ. And you can see that we have been going down through um, almost uh, three complete points of um, contrast and comparison between those two significant events. And I had uh, planned, frankly, to get to the end of point number three uh, under the um, second coming of the church and failed to do that last time, and therefore uh, I'm asking you to um, um, forgive me here and let me finish up point number three in today's program, and then in the next program we will get to a review, and I will give a thumbnail sketch of each one of those um, verses so that uh, hopefully it will be edifying to you and help to Uh, bring into better focus or perhaps to refocus you for our going forward into the subsequent points that we have, as you can see on the handout. So what I'd like to do in today's program, and I thank you for your understanding, is that uh, we would finish up by looking at the last two sets of Scripture under point number three uh, on the right-hand column. And the first one of those is found in the book of Romans in chapter 2. So if you would, if you're in a position to turn to your Bible, and I, and I really hope that you do, rather than if you're in a position to use your Bible and you're not, you're really, really missing out on a joy because I can tell you from personal experience over the years and from um, leading people in how to study the Bible, uh, to discover God's truths for themselves, that it is an, a joy and an excitement when you discover God's truths for yourself and not rely on what some man or woman says, because frankly, we're all failed um, in need of a Savior. And I pray that you do have a Savior, but we're still in the process of sanctification. We are nowhere near mature, or as the Bible would say, perfect, meaning mature. And, of of course, we won't be totally mature until we see Jesus face-to-face in the rapture. But in the meantime, we do have his word, and and the the Lord wants nothing more than to allow us to uh, allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives, to bring the scriptures to life so that we can understand them, and just as importantly, we can apply them to our life and to know which applies to us, and which applies to the Jew, and which applies to the unbeliever. Understanding all that is enriching, it's uh, exciting, and I pray that you will um, use your Bible, wear it out as we go through this um, exploring Bible prophecy. So if you would, turn to, uh, to Romans. So you've got uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John in the New Testament, the book of Acts, and then Romans written by Paul. And in Romans chapter 2, we're talking about Jesus coming back with the church and with his angels uh, in, in flaming glory, if you will, um, to judge the earth. And looking at Romans chapter 2, starting at verse 5, it says, talking to the people who are uh, going to be judged for their unrighteousness, it says, but because of your stubbornness, Romans chapter 2, verse 5, because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. So let's step out of the scripture for a minute and look at that. The stubbornness and unrepentant heart, which is describing the the unrighteous unbeliever. And what does it say it's doing? Because of your unrepentant heart, your stubbornness, your refusal of the the free gift of salvation through belief in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath. And that is what the tribulation is called, the day of divine wrath, the day of the wrath of the Lamb, um, the great and terrible day, um, the day of the Lord. And it's called the day of wrath here in Romans chapter 2, verse 5. So let's pick up again in the scripture, finishing out chapter, rather, uh, verse 5. In the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, verse 6, who will render to each person according to his deeds. Verse 7, to those who by perseverance and in doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality. They have eternal life. But to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and indignation. There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. Verse 10 But glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good, to the Jew first. And also to the Greek, verse 11, for there is no partiality with God. So again, I I tend to think he makes that point in verse 11, there's no partiality with God because most of the Bible was written to and about the Jews. And of course, the Jew thinks that uh, because he's of Abraham's seed um, and that Jesus was a Jew, that they're covered. They don't need salvation. Well, no, God is not going to show any partiality to the Jew, even though, as you recall from a prior um, program in this series, uh, we showed that Israel is the wife of God. And you would think that a, uh, from an earthly perspective, a husband would have partiality towards his wife. Well, God is saying, no, I don't. Even though you are my wife, I do not show partiality between you, a Jew, and a Jew. And those that are Greek, and the Greek is a uh, terminology in the New Testament, meaning all the other people of the earth, the Gentiles. And it says that he's going to deal out tribulation and distress for every soul. So he's basically warning people here in Romans in the first century, and here we are now in the 21st century. uh, So this is all very real prophecy still about what's going to happen during the tribulation period when he judges, judges people. And you'll remember uh, from our last program, we talked about Joel chapter 3, where God says, I'm going to judge the Gentiles of the world for how they've scattered, how they've treated my people, and how they've divided up the land of my people, the land in Israel. And then we went to Matthew 25, and starting in verse 31, where it shows a um, future Prophetic realization of what was talked about in Joel, Joel being from roughly 800 years before Christ, so 2,800 years ago. It's now being prophesied in Matthew 25 that when the Lord comes back with his church and with his angels, he's going to sit on his throne in Jerusalem. And right there on the Temple Mount, where he'll be um, sitting on his throne, right next to it is the Kidron Valley. And if you recall, Joel talked about the Valley of Jehoshaphat. Uh, verse 12 in Joel chapter 3 refers to that Valley of Jehoshaphat as the Valley of Decision, and that's where he's going to bring the nations to be judged. So he's literally going, he's talking about geographically right there next to the Temple Mount in Jerusalem is where he's going to begin his judging of the nations. And the point is, Matthew 25 is a cooperation that he is going to judge them and he's going to bring tribulation and distress to all of those people because he says that those that are judged and and deemed the goats who mistreated his people will go into eternal fire, will go into eternal separation from God at that point. And those who were um, deemed sheep of the Gentiles at that judgment Will go into eternal life, it says in the last uh, the last verse of Matthew, chapter twenty five. So it's a corroboration of what Paul is talking about here in Romans, that uh, those those that um, are um, living in sin, living in with stubborn hearts and so forth, will be separated from God forever but those who seek uh, glory and honor and peace, uh, which would be everyone who does good, that they will have eternal life. So Romans is uh, one of our clear passages here. Romans chapter 2 in these verses from 5 to 11 showing us that there's a clear warning to, to come to Jesus so that you can avoid this time of horrible tribulation and the wrath of the living God. And then let's look to um, point number three in the right column to the last um, passage there, and that is in 2 Thessalonians. So we're in Romans, so we move to the right past First and Second Corinthians, then we find the Gal- Galatians, Ephesians, uh, uh, Philippians, and then Colossians. And then right after Colossians we find the two books of uh, Thessalonians, And we want to go to um, 2 Thessalonians. Paul wrote twice to the Thessalonians after he had visited with them. And during his visits, he told them all about the rapture. He told them all about, in some detail, about the uh, the second coming, about the tribulation. Uh, And the reason he wrote to the Thessalonians, uh, again, um, to uh, bring that point up again, I know we've talked about it in prior programs here, That he he wrote to them to comfort them because the Thessalonians living there in Thessalonica, which is on the coast of northern Greece, and it was in the area of of a major Roman influence out of Rome. Uh, The Roman garrisons, uh, Roman um, leaders were there. And of course, at that time, the uh, Roman Empire made it uh, illegal to call anyone Lord but Caesar in Rome. Uh, and here you find these people that are of the way that are following Jesus Christ, and they're calling him Lord. And that is, of course, infuriating the Romans, so they are making life difficult for the Thessalonians such that the Thessalonians had been led to believe, and of course he says in Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 2, he says uh, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message, or a letter, as if from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord had come. So somebody was coming along behind Paul in some form, whether verbally or in writing, and was telling them that, hey, Paul was wrong. This terrible uh, persecution that you're currently undergoing here, uh, Thessalonians, is the tribulation, and you have missed the rapture. And Paul is coming back here in 2 Thessalonians and saying, No, no, no. Let me tell you the truth of the living God. You have not missed the rapture. And he goes into some detail, and that's what I want to cover with you right now, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. chapter one. And let's look at verses 4 through 10, and I'll read through these first. It says, Therefore, speaking to the Thessalonians that are under persecution that at, right at that time in their lives, Verse 4, therefore we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which indeed you are suffering." For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. When He comes to be glorified in His saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed, for our testimony to you was believed. So what a wonderful passage of comfort, of consolation that Paul is giving to the, uh, the men and women of Thessalonica in Greece uh, who had been led to believe that they were in the tribulation and that these tribulations that they were suffering were the clear sign of that. And of course, we know, and, and Paul um, makes the point clear to them that, hey, this is nothing that you're suffering now, it's bad, but it's nothing compared to what's going to happen during the tribulation period. It is something that you do not want to experience. And the wonderful good news is that through death, through the um, belief in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we will not see nor experience any of that terrible wrath that God is going to bring upon the earth. Because God tells them right here, and that's the, uh, the main purpose of my going here to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 in these verses is to show that God is making it plain and clear to them that these little tribulations you're going through now are all part and parcel of being a Christian, that the world is going to persecute you. As a matter of fact, the persecution that you experience in this life as a Christian is evidence that you are a Christian that it's a confirmation that you are God's because the world hates you, the world system hates you, and they do not know, they can't understand what it is about you that you want to follow this man because they do not have the Holy Spirit. And God is saying that these afflictions are only natural and it's a plain indication in verse 5 of God's righteous judgment. He's basically saying that because you're persevering through this, not that you can lose your salvation. We know that from John 14, verses 16 and 17. You cannot lose your salvation, but you will um, have to persevere through this and not lose heart, because if you persevere f- through it, you won't be, if you don't persevere, you won't be judged, but you will not receive some of the crowns that we'll talk about in another series. So a number of reasons why you want to persevere, even though you may be persecuted, by the world, in the world, because we're not of the world. But know clearly that God will persecute, he will afflict, and he will judge, bring judgment on those who afflict you. He will give relief to you. And that's a wonderful blessing that we have from the Lord, that as we look at the the church coming back, that we're not part of that terrible affliction, that we're saved from that and that those that have afflicted us in our lifetime, uh, unless they come to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they will see this terrible time of wrath and indignation. Okay, let's see now if we can answer a question from a listener to our program. And we have a question here from, from Kay in Kingsport. And the question from Kay that, uh, we'll try and deal with today is why did the apostle John write that even now many antichrists have appeared? So why did he write even now many antichrists have appeared? And, uh, Kay, again, a, a great question here because there's a lot of people that believe that there's only one antichrist and he is yet to come on the scene. And that's, um, what the uh, unbelieving world, those who do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, will see uh, when he comes on the scene by confirming that covenant with Israel and then uh, starts to wreak havoc on the earth as a um, direct emissary of of Satan. So let's look at uh, there you know there are differing opinions uh, on what that specific passage is and uh, what's found there. and let's go to it. That's in first John. In the book of First John, so that's uh, right towards the end of your Bible there. So if you can find Peter, you know Hebrew James, Hebrews James, and then find John. John wrote three little, three little books here, uh, and then he wrote Revelation. So in First John, let's go to chapter two. First John chapter two, and then verse eighteen, and it says, "Children, it is the last hour." And just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. So, of course, Antichrist, you think evil, you think destruction, you think um, thief in the night, uh, ideas like that. And it's, it's my opinion, uh, Kay, that there are Antichrists waiting to appear in every generation since Christ was crucified, uh, since he was crucified and rose again, and he's sitting at the right hand of the Father in heaven. We know that from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20. So Christ was crucified, raised, and he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. But Satan is the prince and power of the earth. The earth belongs to Satan right now. And Satan has always wanted to be God. Satan has always wanted to be God. So let's go real quick to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 14. So you go back uh, roughly into the middle of your Bible and find um, um, Psalms and then Proverbs, and then you'll come fairly quickly into Isaiah. And go to Isaiah 14, and this is a passage that, uh, you know, it's debated as to whether or not exactly it's talking about Satan since it's talking about the uh, the king of Babylon, but we have uh, evidence in other parts of the Bible that God will use a man uh, and then apply uh, comments about Satan relative to that man, but he's really, God's talking about Satan, and we can talk about that in some detail later. I don't have the time to do that right now, but in Isaiah fourteen, thirteen, and 14, it says uh, in Isaiah fourteen thirteen, But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven, I will raise my throne above the stars of God, and I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. Verse 14, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, I will make myself like the Most High. So Satan... Um, Actually, from the time of his fall, remember he was Lucifer, he was an angel of light, he was a covering cherub in God's creation, but he fell. And he fell because of his arrogance and his ego, and he wanted from that point on to be God. But the key thing we have to remember is that Satan is not a godlike figure. Satan is a created being. So if you would, go to Ezekiel chapter 28 for a comment on that. So you've got Isaiah, then you have Jeremiah, then you have short Lamentations written by Jeremiah, and then go to Ezekiel and go to Ezekiel 28, Ezekiel 28. And Ezekiel 28, again, we have the same type of language that we found in Isaiah 14 Um, The writer, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is actually talking uh, about a man in the passage, but then he changes to start talking about the attributes of Satan, the attributes of Satan. So in Ezekiel 28, let's look at verse 15. um, And the verses before that and after that, after 15, all are talking about, uh, starting really in verse
1: um,
0: 12, talking about Satan. But the specific point in verse 15 is, you were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. So here is God talking about Satan, who was blameless in his ways, and then he fell. And he said, uh, when unrighteousness was found in you. But the key point is, from the day you were created. So Satan is a created being. That means that unlike God, Satan cannot see into the future. So Satan prepares for the coming of the Messiah in every generation. He knows from all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the curse said that this, the seed of the woman, a reference to Jesus, would crush the head of Satan. So Satan has always prepared someone to represent him, an antichrist, a lowercase a antichrist, in every generation because he didn't know when the Messiah was going to be born. So he knows that if he can destroy uh, Israel, the Messiah will not come back. He knew that once uh, from the time of Genesis until the time of the first coming of the Messiah, he tried to cut off the seed of the Messiah. Once the Messiah came, he had failed at that, so now he has to keep the Messiah from coming again again keep the Messiah coming back at the second coming. And he uh, is doing that by trying to turn the world against Israel in every generation. So he has an Antichrist prepared for a tribulation in every generation because he doesn't know when Jesus is coming back. And look at Matthew 23. Matthew chapter 23, we give a clear indication of uh, what Satan knows, because Satan knows the Bible, doesn't believe it, but he knows it, and he knows that it says in Matthew 23, and look at um, verse 39, it says, For I say to you, and this is Jesus talking to the disciples um, at the uh, point in time when he's getting to, ready to be crucified at the end of his ministry, For I say to you, from now on, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So the whole point of this is to say that until you recognize me as your Messiah, I will not come back. And that is the point of the tribulation, is to bring Israel to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And because they're so hard-headed, it's going to have to be a terrible tribulation that brings it about. But, um, Satan is going to try everything he can to keep Israel from making that statement. And if he can destroy the entire nation of Israel, that's what he's going to try to do. And that's what uh, he's going to really put his effort into in the middle of the tribulation. So the point here, uh, Kay, is that yes, Satan has been trying since the third chapter of Genesis to cut off the seed of Christ. And failing that, he's going to try and keep Israel from coming to a saving knowledge. So he's had an antichrist waiting in every generation. And in the tribulation, he's going to bring the real one to power. Remember, if we don't talk again, I'll be seeing you in the air. Thank you for joining us on today's Exploring Bible Prophecy. Exploring Bible Prophecy is a production of WHCB. Learn more at whcbradio.org.